Welcome back, dear listener. This is Charlotte, Creative and Technical Director here at Evidence for Faith. We are in session seven of our Creation Seminar series. Now, this one's, if you have kids, this one's probably going to be the most fun because this one deals with dinosaurs. If you'd also like to see the visuals that go along with this lesson, you can check out the video recording that we're releasing today on our YouTube, Facebook, and Rumble channels. As always, this program is supported by generous donors like you. If you'd like to become a donor and support our ministry, you can visit evidenceforfaith.org give. That's evidence number four, faith.org give and become a donor there. And with that, here is Michael Lane in Dinosaurs and Man. Well, good morning. And if you have not been here uh, for the last uh, Friday night or all day or most of the day yesterday, we've been doing all sorts of things up here, show uh, things with microscopes and um, talking about DNA and enzymes and all sorts of things, uh, rocks and stuff and all sorts of, of details and stuff showing that the Word of God is true. And as we're going to go into this morning uh, on this creation seminar, as we are meeting here on a Sunday morning, uh, we're meeting because uh, Jesus Christ is Lord. He is risen from the grave. He is our Savior. We have salvation through him, and his word is true. And so we're here this morning to celebrate and to worship the Lord Jesus Christ and celebrate that fact right there. So as we get started here, I just want to open us in prayer, and we'll get into our presentation. As you can see, dinosaurs and man living together. We're going to talk about dinosaurs because that comes up frequently as I speak at places on um, the Bible and having to do with the problems of Darwinian evolution and creationism. So let's open in prayer and we'll just get started. Father God, we thank you so much. Beautiful morning you've given us. We thank you for the health that you've given us. We thank you, Lord, for your word, that it is true. It is not something that varies. It is not something that changes throughout time because you are a God that does not change. One of the most awesome attributes about you, the attribute of not changing, that we can always depend upon you. You never change with time and things because you are always the same, because you are perfect. And we thank you for that. And we thank you that you've given us these 66 love letters so that we could get to know you better and to have a relationship with you. And this morning, as we explore a little bit more about um, aspects of the Bible, the word you've given us, and about dinosaurs in particular, help me to, Lord, please clear up some misconceptions that are often put out. But also, Lord, that your spirit, your spirit does the teaching here. Take the words that you've given me to say, but Lord, may your spirit teach the individuals here and that we would be able to glorify you and hold you in higher esteem, higher honor, higher glory, and your word also in Jesus' name. Amen. I get asked frequently, because for those of you who have not been here, I'm a biologist, and I used to be a Darwinian evolutionist. And I used to teach this. Matter of fact, I used to debate this. I have worked in a lot of different areas, mostly in education. And uh, I have often, whenever I go anyplace, and I travel around speaking and stuff in Evidence for Faith, and even before that, when I used to work at a Christian camp in the Northwoods, Wisconsin, and even before that, when I used to teach in a public school, um, I used to get questions a lot of times when I would say, well, I believe in the Bible, I believe in the creation account. And they many times will come up with, well, explain dinosaurs. 
You don't see the word dinosaur in the Bible. Well, that's true. You don't see the word airplane in the Bible either. You don't see the word aspirin. David got a headache and took an aspirin. You don't see that. Why? Those are modern terms. And so that's why you're not going to see the word dinosaur in the Bible. It's a modern term. The word dinosaur didn't even exist in our vocabulary until 1841, just a little over 150 years ago, almost 200 years ago now. The term dinosaur is not an ancient term, so you're not going to see it in the Bible. The, the word didn't even exist back then. It was a guy by the name of Dr. Richard Owen, very famous scientist, who also believed in the creation account, in the Genesis account as being literal, and he is the guy who invented it. Why? Because they started finding all sorts of fossils, and they had no idea what in the world these things were. Well, we just can't call them animals that were ro or, uh, rocks that were animals. We can't call them that anymore. We've got to come up with a term. You know, it gets a little language. And, and if you know anything about us in science, we scientists, we love to name things. I think part of the reason we throw all these difficult names out there is sort of like to... Um, confuse people in some aspects. I mean, if you pick up a Biology 1 textbook, do you know that in a Biology 1 textbook, there are, there are more terms that are bold printed than in a Spanish 1 book? Unfortunately, because of that, many biology teachers in schools uh, teach Biology 1 as a foreign language. You memorize the words and the definitions without really teaching the real science behind things. But we had to come up with some words, so we, the, this Richard Owens came up with the word dinosaur, um, large, terrible lizard, basically, rough translation of it, and that's what we have, and that's how we got the name dinosaur. But you will not find that in the Bible. It's a modern term. But the Bible does use a couple of words, a couple of names of organisms that it's not defined as to what they are. There's two in particular that are just not described by anything that we have today. We don't call them the same thing. Now, remember, we're, we, we're working with ancient Hebrew, so we're using words that are a little different than English. But even so, we can't figure out what they are precisely from, um, because you don't go to the zoo and see behemoth. Behemoth is one of these. It's mentioned in four passages in the Bible, all in the book of Job, which is interesting because Job is the oldest book in the Bible. It predates, the events taking place in Job predate what takes place in most of Genesis. And so Job is under the influence of God, under the Spirit of God. He is writing about this creature called Behemoth. In Job chapter 40, he gives us descriptions. Now, as a biologist, we love to get descriptions of things because we love to classify things. I lead marine biology trips every year down to the Florida Keys, and one of the things we do, we take a lot of people from like the Midwest or wherever or even different countries, and we take them down to the Florida Keys, and we expose them to all these different type of organisms, algaes, plants, um, seaweeds, and all sorts of invertebrates that they've never even heard of before, and they're holding these things as they're crawling around their hands and they have to try and figure out, what is this? And so we help guide them through this to understand not only what it is, but how does it live? Why did God make it uh, to live in that environment and not in that environment? What characteristics did God give for it to live here and not over there? So we study stuff like that. That's biology, the study of living things. And so Job gives us a description of a creature called behemoth. Now, we're going to classify. We're going to do it. Oh, didn't know you were coming to biology class this morning, did you? Now, don't get up and walk out on me, you know. 
I've already taken biology. No, we're gonna, this is biblical biology. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at just a couple of little verses here, these verses that describe behemoth. What can we learn from the description being given? Now, in Job 40, verse 15, it says, now these are quotes I'm showing you here directly out of, basically out of the English Standard Version, uh, which is a word-for-word translation. But it says in Job 40, 15, eats grass like an ox. It's a herbivore. It eats plants. So we know that. One Smack dab right there, number one. The next verse, it talks about strength and, and a very powerful belly. Well, that might be significant of a lot of people in Wisconsin. But uh, I live here too. <laughs> but it has a huge belly. Otherwise, it wouldn't have been described this way. So this, it's not going to be a lean, lean creature. It's going to be very big. It's going to be very strong, I should say. Very strong, and it's got a powerful, is the word that's used, a powerful belly. This is a big belly. Then in verse 18, I'm switching the mode here for a little bit because I want to show you something. Um, strong bones and limbs. It has strong bones and limbs. So besides having a belly, if you've got a big belly, you've got to have something that's going to be able to support that belly. So it's going to have massive limbs. That's another thing. So we're getting a description. But then we come to a really interesting clue. Because at this point, there are some Bible scholars, people I hold in very high esteem, have great respect for, who say from those first three, they say, and even including this fourth fact, that what's being described is a hippopotamus or an elephant. And I'm telling you, and I've got this in many of my commentaries, I've heard pastors preach this from sermons at pulpits, I've heard it on the radio, I've seen it on TV, where they'll describe behemoth as being um, a type of uh, hippo or an elephant. And I'm like, no. Because look at the last thing here. I've got in verse 17, it says, a, a tail stiff like a cedar and huge thighs. How many of you have been to Milwaukee Zoo? Most of you have been there. You've probably seen elephants and hippos. Now, a tail like a cedar. A cedar is a tree. As a matter of fact, in the Holy Land, where this is all taking place, cedars are one of the tallest trees there are. There are massive, huge trees. You might remember from reading, if you've read in the Old Testament, about building um, the temple and stuff in David's palace. They used the cedars of Lebanon. They're huge, big things, huge cedar trees, massive. I've seen remains of some of these trees that are almost six feet in diameter. I mean, these are big trees. So we're talking about something big. Does that sound like an elephant's tail or a hippo's tail? I don't think so. It doesn't make any sense to me. So when people say this, even people I have great respect for, when they say this, I don't think this is what it's talking about. Uh, For instance, here's a nice picture of an elephant. You notice anything odd about it? That would be an elephant with a cedar-like tail. Yeah, that's not right, is it? There's something wrong with this. Something's not right. Or, um, I mean, here's a picture of one of your elephants from the Milwaukee Zoo. Now, does that tail resemble a tall cedar tree? No. Not a big, massive cedar tree. It's a short, little, skinny thing. So I don't think it's an elephant. Besides, Hebrew has a word that can be used for elephant. Or a hippo. Here's a picture again from your zoo um, here in Milwaukee. Look at the short, little, stubby tail. Would you call that a massive cedar-like tail? No. So it's not an elephant. It is not a a hippo. So these people are wrong when they're saying this, and I I hate when they do this kind of thing. So what are we talking about? Let's take the pieces that we had. Well, eating grass, it's a herbivore, but the big limbs, big belly, big massive creature, could it possibly be something like this? You don't think so? I think so. 
Because these creatures, the long necks, if you remember the, TV, or the, the movies, uh, what do they call it, Land Before Time? Remember Littlefoot? The long necks? Those have big bellies, they have big limbs, they have big long tails. It seems to fit. So, I'm just, I'm not making a definitive statement, I'm just stating, could behemoth have been a form of like a brachiosaur? It fits the description better than anything else you're going to see at the zoo. This thing seems to fit this description. But that's just one animal. It's only given us a few details about it, but there's a second one. Now, the second one's really interesting because we get a lot of information, not just from the book of Job, but we get it from some other books. It's called Leviathan. Um, if you translate this into he, uh, Hebrew, um, the word actually means like a sea monster. The, the word monster is the best translation for it, monster. Anyway, it, it's mentioned in the book of Isaiah. Now, Isaiah was alive, you know, way after David, before, um, way after Moses and all them. He's living um, like in the 700 BCs and stuff like this or whatever. And you see Isaiah describing this thing. These are all mentioning specifically this animal named Leviathan. And in Isaiah chapter 27, verse 1, as you can see, it says, calls it a serpent. What's it tell us right there? It's reptilian. It's a reptile. It calls it a dragon. If you ever wonder where we get the story of dragons, here it is. They call it a dragon. Notice it says, of the sea. So thus, it is something associated with water. That's why we get the idea sea monster from the, uh, the most accurate English translation of the Hebrew word here. But then we go back to Job. Oh, Job has so much to say about this. I mean, he has a lot to say. In Job chapter 41, we get a great description of this creature. First of all, it's, it talks about using a fish hook and that it, the creature has a tongue and a nose. Okay, a nose. That's interesting that it's actually got a snout of some sort. It has a nose. Obviously, a fish hook, it's something that's in water. Um, it has a tongue. So it's a visible tongue, obviously, that they could see this. I doubt Job was a biologist dissecting these things. So the tongue was probably something that could be seen, as any person would see. You get the verses 7 and 8. It talks about this creature being extremely dangerous. It actually mentions that harpoons thrown at it have no effect. So it's, in other words, it's armor-plated. Doesn't that sound like scales to be armor-plated? Job verse 10 talks about it being a terrifying animal. It just terrifies anybody who goes up against it. So this is a very, very fierce monster, if we will. You get to verses 12 through 14, it talks about it has terrible teeth. Sounds like it's got big teeth. And it even mentions you can't put a bridle on one. Well, I don't know why would you would want to put a bridle on something like this anyway, but it, it, you can't put a bridle on it. It's, it's very dangerous is what it's talking about here. In verses 15, 16, and 17, uh, Job mentions that it does have scales. He describes scales fitting so close together that air cannot pass between them. This is definitely a reptilian feature. We see this in reptiles even to this day. Um, snakes, their scales are like this. Uh, crocodiles, the turtles, the scoots on the back of a turtle shell, they all fit very tightly together. So this is something that is armor-plated with scales. Then we come to verses 18 through 21 and probably one of the most confusing passages in the entire Bible. This is where we get the story of fire-breathing dragons because this thing's already been called a dragon. And it mentions here about burning heat, smoke, if you will, burning heat coming out like flames, like, like in it, whatever the, this comes out, it burns. So here is where many people I lose because they'll say, 
there's no such thing as fire-breathing dragons. You don't see lizards shooting out flames and stuff, except on Disney cartoons and stuff like this. You just don't see it. Or these, you know, uh, other movies, um, I don't, can't think of like Lord of the Rings or whatever or something like that. Narnia, you come across things like this. So people just right there, they stop. Okay, no creature does this. Au contraire. I like to do that. That sounds French. Au contraire. But anyway, there are creatures that do this that are still found on the planet. We don't have them here in the United States. But there's a thing, the classic one, it's called the bombardier beetle. It's a small little beetle, a few centimeters in length. What you're seeing is coming out of the posterior or the back end, uh, the rear, if you will, of this creature. And what looks like smoke, I mean, doesn't that picture look like smoke? Job talks about smoke. This looks like smoke. Actually, it's not smoke. You know what that is? Steam. Extremely hot steam, hundreds of degrees Celsius. Now, 100 degrees Celsius will boil water. This comes out, in some cases, over 1,000 degrees. This is super hot. In other words, if you pick up one of these and hold it in your hand, you are going to be burned just like someone took a flamethrower to your hand. If the predator animal comes up that says, ooh, I'm going to eat this, he's going to have heartburn like he never had before because it's going to burn the whole way down. That's the bombardier beetle. There are other examples, but this is the one that's been studied the most. There's enzymatic or little reactions that speed up things. Uh, chemicals inside of its body in soft tissue. It's not encased in a skeleton or something. Uh, these guys have an exoskeleton. They don't have an internal bones like we have. So it's not going to fossilize very well. But what we can see from this is they can produce uh, in these soft tissues and shoot out steam at very high velocity and very, very far. There are creatures that do this on many continents, but we don't have them here in the United States. Um, you can go to Australia and find these, and I believe you can find some other creatures like that do this in Africa. I mean, Australia, that makes sense. That's where God took everything that was really weird and dangerous and put it on one continent and said, stay away. You know, most dangerous creatures on the planet, Australia. So, yeah, let's all go to Australia. <laughs> but anyway, that's what I'm trying to show you is the Bible is not necessarily wrong here. Matter of fact, I don't believe it's wrong at all because the Bible is describing Leviathan as having the capability of producing heat and flame, burning sensation coming out at the anterior end. Well, the thing is, we do know that there are organisms still alive on the planet today that do this. It's rare to see them, but they do exist. So I don't think the Bible's wrong here. I think this Leviathan had some type of capability of this. But it will not fossilize because it's all little soft tissue stuff that decays very, very quickly. Now, we move on. In verse 22 of Job 41, it talks about this creature having tremendous strength. It also mentions that it has a neck. Okay, so it's definitely got a neck. Uh, so the head is attached by vertebrae to the, the rest of the body. It says in verse 25, it can rise up out of the water and invoke fear. Scary creature can come up out of the water. It says in Job 41, 26 to 29, it describes many type of weapons, slings, spears, arrows and stuff. Can't hurt him. What is this thing? Verse 30, again, it talks about scales, even being on the belly side. This thing is totally reptilian. No question about it. It leaves awake in verse 33. When it swims through the sea, it leaves awake like a boat would leave. That's got to be a pretty good-sized creature for an ancient person to describe, oh, look, look, there's a wake there. There's a leviathan. 
It can't be like a little water bug swimming around on top of your lake here. No one looks at these and sees these little water bugs on a pontoon boat on a pond or a lake and say, wow, look at the cool wake it's making. No, this has got to be something big. And we come to the last verse here in Job 41, verse 34. It talks about it being the top predator of the food chain. It's the most terrifying creature, the most dangerous creature, the, the epitome of a predator. That's what it is. Now, what is this? Well, if we just take all of these pieces together, take all the classification, we don't know because this is a Hebrew term. We're trying to put it into English, trying to understand it. Obviously, this doesn't, doesn't seem like it's around today, so apparently it's extinct, but what could this possibly be? Well, TV has helped us to learn a little bit, I think, of what this thing is. Could it be a Mosasaur? This is a Mosasaur. This one would be a lot bigger than this. Um, my wife won't let me buy a life-size one, which is about 80 feet long, and stick it in the car um, and keep it in the house. <laughs> but this, is a, this fits the description, a neck, teeth. Um, it scales all over, scales on the body. Um, it swims. It can rise up. As a matter of fact, if you watch one of the Jurassic Park movies, I can't remember which one. There's so many of these. It's almost like Spider-Man. Every time they make one, they, oh, we got to make another one. <laughs> uh, and so there's so many Jurassic Park movies, but there's one where there's the park, and it's a tourist site, and there's a big pool of, of water, people sitting around like at an orca thing, and they hang a great white shark up, and the shark comes up and swallows the thing. That's a mosasaur. They even talk about it in the movie, the top predator. And at the end of that movie, when they've got this weird thing running all over, uh, killing T-Rexes and everything else, what takes it out at the end of the movie? The Mosasaur, the top predator. Is this, we know these exist because we have found fossils of this, and it's called a Mosasaur. Now you might think, oh, it's biblical. It's got Moses like in it. No, it's... <laughs> That's just because it came, they first, uh, found the fossils near a river called the Mosa River. And that's where it got the name, the Mosasaur. So it has nothing to do with Moses. Um, <laughs> but anyway, even though Moses wrote, you know, the Genesis and the Torah. But the thing is, could this be this creature? Scientifically, we'd have to come to the conclusion it is a possibility. It is possible. Because we know these things roam the planet. We know that uh, the description of what we just read fits this better than any other type of of creature we've ever seen on the planet. And this would be, I mean, if you imagine, I, what is the length of this? I'm guessing maybe um, 80 feet, something like that. So this creature is bigger than this room, or at least this size. Uh, can you imagine doing that? Now, you want to go out and try and ride it? Hey, go out and put a bridle on it and take a ride. <laughs> I don't think so. And I believe that's what possibly, I'm not saying definitive, but I'm saying this is a possibility. Now, if this is true, if this is correct, uh, if our assumptions that we're making here from the biblical description, trying to take ancient Hebrew and put it into English is real, then we are left with another problem for Darwinian evolutionists. Because if the Bible is correct, dinosaur and man would have lived together at the same time. Because according to the days of creation, and yesterday we talked all about the word yam, uh, the, the Hebrew word for day, and that is a, and just this morning, um, a person showed me in a book that yam, um, 
I won't say the author and everything, but the, that the word yom uh, means probably long periods of time. That is not correct. When yom is ever used in, uh, in use and combined with a number or whenever it is combined with evening or night, it is always a 24-hour day. Always. And in the Genesis account, it has both evening and night, and it gives a number. So that's a double infinitive that this is 24-hour days. I mean, to say that God couldn't do that, why are you putting God in a box? You're going to say God can't do stuff? He couldn't have created it in, 20, in six 24-hour days? God could have created it in a millisecond. Why are you limiting God's power is what I often tell people. So God says that he created land animals and man basically at the same time, and the thing is they're living together until the flood, and then I do believe the dinosaurs were on the ark, um, well, how could you put this on the ark? Well, it's a water creature. It's not going to drown. Also, they say, well, how could you put a big brachiosaurus on the ark? I used to work at the Shedd Aquarium in Chicago. We transport fish from all over the world, from different places to bring them to the aquarium. On the marine biology trip, we will sometimes in the past, we used to bring organisms from the Keys to like Illinois or Wisconsin uh, and put in my aquariums and things. We learned at the Shedd Aquarium many, many decades ago that when you're going to transport organisms, you pick the babies because they handle the stress. You don't pick an adult. Adults are too hard, too wieldy, too much work. Babies are so much easier. And besides, aren't they cute? Yeah. So you don't want to use stuff like that. You take babies. They handle the stress. So it doesn't say anywhere in Scripture that, Moses, or that Noah had to go out and get adult animals. No, he probably used small ones. It's a lot easier to take care of, a lot easier for handling stress. That makes perfect sense biologically. And I believe that the Bible is correct here. But, you know, science textbooks like this one here I have um, says something different. They say that dinosaurs disappeared 65 million years ago. And 65, that's a long time. That's older than I am. And that's, that's a long time. And the thing is, they say in that biology book that man didn't exist until just two and a half million years ago. So there's, you catch what I'm doing here. We'll use this meter stick to represent time. And this is like time, each one of the little marks here. Dinosaurs, if this is the beginning of time and here we are today, dinosaurs appear somewhere in here, you know, and they go through here, and then they just stopped abruptly. They're extinct. This is what media and biology books and stuff tell us all the time, TV shows, um, and they talk about this all the time. We are subtly hit with this all the time. Even the Flintstones talk about it. And so dinosaurs became extinct. We don't appear until the very end, the last th uh, two and a half centimeter or millimeters on this chart. Here's where we are. So there's a whole span, there's no time with man and dinosaur living together. Is that true? Obviously not. Why would I be making a point of it? Most of what we believe about dinosaurs, believe it or not, is taken from fossils. We have fossils. I have fossils up here. I think this is not the trilobite. I know it's the Illinois State fossil. I imagine it's probably the Wisconsin one too. Little trilobite. Saw in a store in town yesterday one of these just like this for $20. Um, this is mine. <laughs> but these little creatures, these, these things, are they actually millions of years old? Is that where we get this? Because that's where a lot of our learning comes from. It's not just biology books. Children are getting up on Saturday mornings. Oh, I feel so sorry for the kids. Parents that are like my age, do you feel sorry for kids today? You should, considering TV, uh, cartoons and stuff. You see, when I was a little boy back when the earth was cooling, they had 
They had on Saturday mornings the most awesome cartoons. It was Bugs Bunny, The Roadrunner Hour, Tom and Jerry. Now what do you get? Dinosaur Train. You get all these animal shows, and they're constantly talking about and saying that the Bible's incorrect, that these dinosaurs existed millions of years ago. And they go on to this all the time, and our children are being subjected to this without us even realizing it, that they're growing up. By the time they get to high school biology, they have already been taught this, and most of them have already accepted it as being true. And as we've shown in the last couple of days, there's a lot of problems with that theory, which I'll get into some more uh, later on today. But this is where we get a lot of our information, from television and from fossils. And we make them into monsters and stuff. Do you know that the average height of a dinosaur the average height, you take all the dinosaurs, the average height was under three feet. I mean, we always picture the big ones because that's what Hollywood makes into monsters. Most of them are really small little things. Under three feet, about the height of the table. But trilobites, like the one I just showed you here in this concretion, supposedly went extinct because it's a fossil. Well, if it's a fossil, it's got to be millions of years old, right? That's the only way you make fossils. By the way, do you know how you make a fossil? You take an organism, you have to kill it instantly and bury it in wet sediment. Fossils are found on every continent. What does that tell you? There was a worldwide flood, which scientists deny ever happening here. Many scientists, not all. Many scientists deny ever happened on this planet, but if you've been watching the news for the last couple of months, they say Mars definitely experienced one. We've never even set foot on Mars, and they're telling us that Mars had a global flood, but the Earth didn't. Yeah, find the fossils on Mars. Mm -hmm. Anyway. That's where we get this. Because it's a fossil, it's got to be super old. How about this? Did you catch this in the news earlier this summer? A huge 420-million-year-old fish. Actually, it wasn't that old. But um, this is what this fish, it's called the coelacanth. It was rediscovered in the Indian Ocean. These things were thought to be totally extinct. Living back, remember dinosaurs? It became extinct 65, 68 million years ago. This predates dinosaurs by hundreds of years. Yet... They found these guys swimming in the Indian Ocean. It was on the news. Don't believe me? Fox News right there. It was covered all over. Every news circuit carried this. That's the coelacanth. Big old fish. They said it was like a, finding a dinosaur. Like As one scientist put it, it's like walking into the jungle of the Amazon and finding a T-Rex walking around. Only this is even older. Because we have fossils of these, they just assumed it's going to be that old. Does fossils really make things super old? Here's a fossil of a 1930 spark plug. How old is that? Well, it was not even 100 years old, yet it's been fossilized. Or how about this one? Here's another one. Uh, this one, <laughs> I love this one. Proof of alien visitors? <laughs> Artifacts from an ancient civilization. The truth is out there. That's the headline from a Seattle paper talking about how a guy uh, was looking for geodes, found this thing, and when he cut it open, it was the inside of a spark plug was sitting inside the geode. Yeah, it's supposed to be millions of years old. Cuts it open, something's wrong. There's a spark plug in here. <laughs> so it made the headlines on the Seattle paper and the Seattle news. Do we hear about this very often? No, because this goes contrary to our worldview that the Bible is incorrect, and so we have a problem here. But in fact, there are hundreds of artifacts that exist that show us that the Bible is absolutely correct. Man and dinosaur live together. Unfortunately, you'll hardly ever hear about this or see this, definitely not on PBS. You just don't see this. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Did you know that there are many famous people in history, first of all? Let's just go with historians. Historians who recorded seeing 
and sometimes being attacked by dinosaurs. Now, let me give you some examples. And some of these are going to be people you never heard of. Some of them you have. Famous historians, and they're describing things. One, his name is Herodotus. Very famous Greek historian. He wrote a book called The History of Herodias. <laughs> wow, what a title. I didn't even use one like that. But in his book, too, he wrote about these flying serpents that he saw in Arabia. He describes them. These animals sound amazingly like a small, I'm going to butcher some of these names here, Ramphora uh, rhynchus. It's a bat-like winged dinosaur that is extinct. There's many fossils of these found around. Yet he describes seeing them flying, not one, but many of them flying through the air. This is a person with Herodotus. We usually take whatever he says in history as fact. Here's a guy who is talking about, I saw what you guys call dinosaurs, and they didn't call it dinosaurs, remember, because that term didn't exist. But he talked about these creatures and described them. Cassius Dio, this is a famous one. Oh, this is great. <clears throat> He's a Roman. He wrote of a battle. You can see where he lived just the time after Christ, after the apostles had died. Um, there was a battle between the Romans in the first Punic Wars. He writes about this. Between the Roman army and a dragon, he called it. A dragon. General Marcus Antillus Regulus actually describes it. In Cassius's, uh, Cassius Dio's uh, writings in his book, he says, A dragon suddenly crept up and settled behind the wall of the Roman army. The Romans killed it and sent its hide and skull to the Senate, which would be in Rome, where it was preserved in a Roman temple. This is describing a dinosaur. The Romans, very good historians, very noted historians. Pliny the Elder. We get a lot of our church history from Pliny the Elder. Um, he was a Roman author. He was not a Christian, but he wrote a lot about Christians. And he's a Roman author. He was what we would call a naturalist, or today we might call him a biologist. He, he liked to study nature. He lived at the same time as the Apostle Paul, and he wrote about a fight, a fight that he actually witnessed between an elephant and a dragon, as he called it. Dinosaur? Apollonius of Tyana, a Greek traveler, very famous philosopher. He described accounts of dragon hunts that he visited in, in, uh, in India in 220 AD. He describes these creatures perfectly, and they seem to be descriptions of what you would see at the Natural History Museum in Chicago of dinosaurs. He describes them perfectly. Now, let me just pause here for a second. You understand what I'm saying? How can these people be describing these dinosaurs, which were extinct and not even identified as dinosaurs until just a little over almost 200 years ago? They had to be seeing something alive to be describing it. They're not talking about fossils. Everybody's heard of Marco Polo. Ooh, fun game, Marco Polo. Uh, in 1271, when he was in China, he wrote about dragons pulling carts and actually dragon hunts. Here's what he says, quote, they were huge serpents, 10 paces in length, that's pretty big, 10 spans in the girth of their body. At the forepart near the head, they had two short legs having three claws like those of a tiger with eyes larger than four penny loaf, very glaring. The jaws were wide enough to swallow a man. The teeth are large and sharp and their whole appearance is so formidable that neither man nor any kind of animal can approach them without terror. Where do you see that in a zoo? He's describing, I believe, a dinosaur. Ulysses Androvandus, Andro he's a very famous scientist, lived um, 
in the 1500s, on his walk one morning uh, along a road in Italy, he encounters a dinosaur. It, he even noted the date of it because he came back and he wrote about it. And he killed it and he dissected it and he studied it and he did drawings of it. And he's describing a perfect, beautiful little dinosaur. And then we come to the famous Ica stones. This is really interesting. When the, the explorers, the conquistadors, came over to the New World looking for gold uh, down in Peru, they started finding some, going into the tombs, they started finding something really fascinating, really interesting that they didn't expect, no one had ever seen before. They're called Ica stones. These are two of them right there. These are ones I just made to demonstrate what I'm talking about. These are not real. Um, but you can see, I modeled these off of, of real ones. And you can see that we have like, you know, an image here. What they are, they're black basalt rock that has been polished and they are hand carved. This is not water erosion making these, in, you know, these designs. This is hand carving of people drawing pictures of these, of, of creatures in ancient Peru that they were actually seeing. Now, the thing is, just that, that they're drawing pictures on rocks is one thing. It's what they drew pictures of. The Spanish were amazed by this, and they sent some of these back to Madrid, which are still in museum today. But they found many, many, dozens and dozens of these things as they were robbing tombs. Now, let's just look at this one here. This one here on the right is showing something that looks like a triceratops, does it not? That's Sarah, for those of you who know land before time. And so this, this is a triceratops, but notice there's a guy sitting on the back of it riding it, and not only that, he's smoking a pipe. 68 million years ago, there's nobody around to do that. Or this one here, this is the whole cast of Land Before Time. Here's Littlefoot, here's Sarah, here's Spiketail, here's Petrie, here's Sharptooth, and he's eating a fish. Isn't that interesting? And there are many of these things that have been found. The explorers found these and they couldn't figure out what in the world are they. I do know a person, I have a, a, a friend of mine who actually has gone to Peru and has purchased many years ago, they're very old now, but they went and they found, um, went in and, and actually purchased some of the, what are believed to be authentic Ica stones. And on these Ica stones you can see absolutely perfect drawings of dinosaurs. Now how could they do this? How could people draw dinosaurs so perfectly if they were extinct 60 million years before man ever came. This doesn't make any sense. And there's a lot of these. They, make all, they have found all sorts. And it's even recorded in history. Engraved stones, these Ica stones, they call them Ica because that was the area where they first found them. Um, a Jesuit uh, missionary, uh, Padre Simon, accompanied the conquistadors in the 1500s, and he's the one who sent the samples back to Spain. So we know that these things were around uh, and have been found, and there are many of them. Now, if you go today to this area in Peru, there, uh, you can buy them by the dozens, and they're not that expensive. Matter of fact, I've even seen them at times on eBay. Most of those are fakes. Just to let you know, there's a lot of fakes that are out there. Well, how do we know that the original ones weren't fakes? Well, first of all, they're the original ones. The ones the Spanish found in the 1500s, they weren't faked. Besides, how could they draw them so perfectly? Today, yes, there are people that sit in little shacks out in the Amazon or out in the jungles, and they carve these things and they sell them to tourists as the Ica stones. And most of those have been faked. But taking a look at the original ones, they have done studies on these. Matter of fact, um, 
a very famous chemist, uh, F.G. Hawley, and a biologist, Dr. Ryan Drum, actually studied these original ones that were brought back, the ones found in these tombs, and they have all concluded, they were skeptical of the whole thing. But what they did, when they did all sorts of tests, chemical tests, even going to electron microscopy and stuff, they said, these things are authentic, they're real. This is not a modern reproduction. These date back before the 1500s. How did they do this? Yes, there are fakes, but just because there's some fakes out there, and I've heard this many times, um, one college professor said when I was talking about this afterwards, he says, well, those, most of those are fakes, so you can't, you can't trust it. Most, not all, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater here, there are some real ones. Yes, they do sell them in the tourist trade now, it's a lot of fakes, but that's not all they found. They also found burial claws with dinosaurs drawn on them. How do you explain animals like this? Big, huge, dinosaur-looking creatures in burial cloths in these tombs. This one's just 500 years old. Do you realize that that means 500 years ago somebody was seeing a dinosaur? Or you go any place on the planet, you can find what's called petroglyphs. We commonly call them cave drawings. Dinosaur animals perfectly drawn. How could somebody draw something that we didn't even know existed? until just 200 years ago. And their drawings are perfect. Here's another one. This little animal part right here, here it is large. Here's an artist's rendition of what you're seeing. That is a dinosaur. Here's another long neck. No wonder that TV show was so popular, Land Before Time. And by the way, this one shows a man standing next to it. So it's not water erosion doing it. There's another picture of it. Here's one that's sort of faint here, so I have the picture here from Answers in Genesis um, showing the outlet to dinosaur. Behemoth, if you will. These things are found on every continent. No matter where you go, you can find cave drawings of dinosaurs. How could people be drawing these things so accurately if they went extinct 65 million years before people? But that's not all. There's more. This is a picture of ancient Sumatrans um, it's a piece of artwork depicting a long-tailed creature that these warriors are fighting. And looking at this, this is found in the uh, museum in Budapest, is where it's stored today. It depicts a creature that bears the likeness to a uh, Corythosaurus, and, which is a type of dinosaur, being hunted by these Indonesians. How could they do this? How could they draw this scene if, they, if dinosaurs didn't exist with man? Or this one, this is from Mesopotamia, from like the Holy Land area, the Crescent area around present-day Iraq. They found this um, art with pictures of long necks, if you will again, brachiosauruses drawn right on seals and stuff and in artwork. How could they do this unless these creatures were around? Or here, this is a great one. This dates back to the time of King David, about 1000 BC. This one was found in Greece. It's a, a, a those of you who know what I'm talking about, a chia pet, basically. It's a little clay clay um, piece here, probably something that some kid would play with, but they had molds. They even found molds of these things that they could pour plaster in and whatever and make these. And you can see this looks like a spike tail, like a stegosaurus. That's pretty accurate drawing for a kid's toy. 1000 BC. How could they do this if dinosaurs were never seen by man? If dinosaurs are separated by 60 million years or more, how could they do this? It gets better. Here's a beautiful mosaic tile. Um, it's called the, uh, the Nile Mosaic of Palestrina. It depicts a Nile scene taking place in Egypt, um, uh, 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 Egypt to Ethiopia, talking about these Ethiopian warriors fighting what appears to be a dinosaur. 
Mosaics were how they did a lot of pictures back then. That shows a dinosaur. How could they do this? Or go to Cambodia. 800 years ago in Cambodia, the people living there built a temple, Taprom. They built this temple. Now, if you walk around a temple, the ruins are it's out in the middle of nowhere, but if you get there and you walk around, you can see some magnificent ruins, a lot of entryways into this temple. Notice what's on the door panels. Dinosaurs. This is just 800 years ago. How are they able to do this? Something is not making sense here. We're having some problems with, with what we're being shown on Saturday morning and in and TV, and even reading in biology books, uh, what you read on the internet. We're having some problems because there obviously is evidence, and a lot of evidence, showing that dinosaurs and man live together. They haven't been gone that long. Oh, I'm saving the best. It's coming up yet. Here, 1496, about the same time as Columbus. This is Bishop Bell's tomb. It's in uh, Carlisle Cathedral in the UK. He lived about the same time as Columbus. When he was buried, they would bury people in the church. You haven't done that in here, have you? No one's sitting over somebody's tomb? That's good. Uh, sometimes it smells a little funny. But anyway, as they, they would bury people, bishops and stuff, in the floors, and um, you can walk on, you know, around the tomb or step on or whatever, but you can see that there's dinosaurs that are drawn around this thing in these gold plates that are put around the tomb. How did they? This is the time of Columbus. Get this one. Some of you might remember this. This was 2005. This made national world news all over the place. They found a T-Rex, a brand new T-Rex out in the western part of the United States. As they started to dig it up out of the ground, as they started to lift it to put it onto a truck, the femur bone, big leg bone, broke. When it broke, what was inside was not fossilized solid rock what was found was soft tissue. And these are pictures taken right off of, this is off of MSNBC. This is not a Christian organization. But they're showing soft tissue of this T-Rex. This T-Rex is supposed to be like at least 68 million years old. How do you get soft tissue? There have been so many of these things. This was national. This was a major discovery. And it shows not only did they have soft tissue, there's fibrous Still fibrous fibers in here, collagen, um, tendons and things. They found, not tendons, but uh, um, different type of protein matter that was not rock. It's still soft. They even found blood cells. Forget the first Jurassic Park movie when they're looking for dinosaur blood in a mosquito. Shoot, they got it straight from the dinosaur itself. This is a picture of another one of these showing you bone. This is from Montana State University Lab as they were looking at the bones of these fossilized animals, can you see this is inside, if you were here yesterday, or Friday night, I showed you with the microscope showing you evidence of God, these are oste osteocytes, these are cells that make bone. This is a canal where blood would flow through. These are individual red blood cells. How do you explain that? We don't need a mosquito, here you go. Even it says here, a colleague took one look at them and shouted, you got red blood cells, you got red blood cells. This was a major discovery. How can this thing be 68 million years old if it still has fresh, uh, not fresh, but like viable, you can still get DNA and stuff out of it. How can you do that? It can't be that old. This one, 
One of the pioneers in discovering this was a person by the name of Dr. Mary Schweitzer, paleontologist, associate professor, North Carolina State University. She was studying different types of dinosaur that was, we were finding soft tissue in. These are actually pictures from her paper uh, that I've given you the site here in Science Magazine, which is not a Christian publication. That's a very prestigious uh, one, uh, science uh, uh, periodical. Here she describes collagen, elastin, hemoglobin, red blood cells and stuff, osteocytes. And she's actually isolated these things. They are not fossilized. How is this possible if it's 68 million years old? Why isn't this on the news more often? Matter of fact, when this was published, and she says, I think something's wrong. I think some, we got something wrong here. This stuff shouldn't be here. Yet we're finding this all over. And she became under such attack from the scientific community that she almost lost her job. Matter of fact, I'm not sure she might have at one point. Um, but she was attacked all over because she was going against the flow of what the worldview is concerning what the biblical days of creation is and going against what biology books teach. They basically were telling her, shut up. We'll threaten you with your job even. There have been other scientists who have come along on this, and they have just been ridiculed because they're saying, this can't be 68 million years old. It just can't. Matter of fact, if you sit and you actually do a study, you'll have to do some digging, but you can. You can find all sorts of evidence now that has been found showing soft tissue that should be fossilized as rock. Soft tissue, there are tons of papers on this now. But this is not making the news why? This goes totally against the worldview. This is not in line with what Satan wants the world to hear, that, wow, you know something? Maybe the Bible is correct after all. Maybe the timeline is not millions of years. Maybe it was six 24-hour days. Maybe man and dinosaur did live together exactly as the word says here. And maybe these things are wrong. Now, which one do you think has more errors in it? As I said in one of the sessions earlier, I used to teach school. We used to change biology textbooks at least every five years because there's so many science errors in them. Before a book comes out on the, at, at the end of the printing press, it's already obsolete. There's already incorrect information in it. Just watch the science news. You'll keep seeing we have to keep changing our ideas, keep changing our ideas. Why? Because we're wrong. This does not change. I lead archaeological archaeological trips to Israel. I've written books on this also, showing history and stuff shows and gives so much evidence that this is true. There really was a King David. I can prove it to you. There really was the, the walls of Jericho. I could take you there and show you how they fell and even how one part of the wall didn't fall. I can take you to Hetzor, north of the Sea of Galilee, where Joshua burned the city. I can take you there and show you the ash line of when he destroyed the city and the burnings of what took place there. These stories are true. This is what we need to be putting into people. That doesn't change. This can't even make it to the printing press and come out without having an error in it. We got problems. I do encourage you, if you've never heard of this, there's, it was on Netflix for a while, is Genesis History. It's a DVD you can buy and go to Amazon, buy this, or uh, Answers in Genesis, Creation Institute, they sell it. It's only a few dollars. You can get this thing. If, if you're familiar with the Truth Project, um, from Focus on the Family, Del Tackett, who put that together, he put this together. And he goes back and he takes you through the book of Genesis and he talks about this. There's one section we don't have time to watch. It's about a 15-minute section where they actually show in this, I'm just doing a commercial here. No, I get no royalty on this. Uh, 
but they actually take dinosaur skin and show you it being stretched. How can that? Try and stretch a trilobite. Try and stretch like a chambered nautilus. You're not going to do it. The stuff is soft tissue. We've got the times all mixed up. We've been teaching people incorrect about this so much. It actually says in here, suggesting that these bones sat around for at least 70 million years or 25.5 billion days in porous sandstone without completely fossilizing or decomposing literally is unbelievable. A much better, more logical explanation is that dinosaurs once lived on Earth in the not-too-distant past within a few hundred or thousand years ago, not 60 million. This is from More Soft Tissues by Eric Lyons, Apologetics Press, a whole article all about this. There are things out there. You can find information on all this. It's, it's there. The problem is we don't talk about it. We often don't speak on it, and we let... PBS and other programs and stuff like this influence not only us, but our children. Do you know that NOVA, the science program NOVA, when all of this was discovered in 2005, very quickly put together a program to try to describe and answer the question, how did these dinosaur bones, this T-Rex, how does it have still fresh tissue in it? I watched this thing numerous times. And what was amazing is they tried every little theory they could come up with. Every little thing, and as they, well, maybe this is what happened. As they start testing this, no, that didn't happen. Okay, maybe this happened. They try this, it didn't happen. Maybe this is what happened. It doesn't happen. What they concluded is, here was their conclusion at the end. If you watch the video, if you pull it down, go out, buy a copy. I don't know if it's still available online. It was 2005, but if you can still get a copy of it, at the end they say, we don't know how it happened. But it happened. Not once in that whole video, in that whole show, does somebody say, do you think we got the time wrong? Which to me is the most obvious question to ask. No, they tried to prove everything keeping their theory. That's a lot of times we scientists do stuff like this. We got so based upon our idea, we become so biased to our opinion, we can't see the light. I know because I used to work in this field and I did the same thing. I falsified data at some point to support my hypothesis even though the majority of my data said I was wrong, still published. There's a thing in science, publish or perish. And I didn't want to perish. So what I'm trying to tell you here is you want to look for truth? Here's truth. Study this. Learn about it. 66 love letters from God to us. He pours out his heart, his emotions, and everything Tells us how to have a successful life, how to have an abundant life, how to run a business, how to handle money, how to handle a marriage, how to handle friendships, how to handle problems, how to handle persecutions, and even tells us how it all began. It's all here. You're not going to find anything else like it. It's a book that's so reliable. Don't put your faith in this. Father God, we thank you for this time, and I just, just stand amazed at your creative world. I thank you for giving me the eyes of a biologist to be able to see your handiwork all through nature. It is amazing. You are real. Your word is true. I do not believe 
anymore that the earth is billions of years old. It goes against strictly everything in Scripture. Not only the days of creation, which are mentioned not just in Genesis, but throughout all of the books of the Bible, many times it is referred to, but it also lessens why you came, Jesus Christ, to die for us, because death is the result of sin. It's not something that happened in a natural process, and you called it good over millions of years. It's something that... That whole idea, Lord, just goes so against you, and it's Satan's lie, and I pray that you help open our eyes to see that. I thank you for each person here, and may your spirit do a better job of teaching them as this ends throughout the day, tonight, or whenever, Lord, that you bring this back and teach it better than I could do to them right now. But I thank you for all for them, and we ask that you just bless the rest of our day in your son's name and for your honor and glory. Amen. hope you enjoyed that episode. A big thank you is due to our donors for making this ministry possible. Once again, you can become a donor at evidenceforfaith.org give. That's evidence, the number four, faith.org give. And help us keep this broadcast free. You can also support us by sharing, subscribing, and leaving a review on this podcast. If you would like to hear Michael live, you can also check out our bookings calendar at evidenceforfaith.org or book your own event with Michael. So this is Charlotte signing off. I'll see you on the next episode.